Welcome aboard. It's episode four of Riding the Bus, the official I Am a Wild podcast. And for the first time this week, presented by our friends at Explore Minnesota, Ben Gislason, joined by Joey Goldstein. And uh, a lot to talk about this week. We're excited to be on to episode four. I think as we were joking before the show started here, someone along the lines somewhere when we were talking about this whole podcast scenario said a very high percentage of podcasts don't make it past episode three. We're on to episode four. So here we are. We're in elite company now. Here we are. We've made it. We're in like, what is it? I don't know what the percentage was. We're probably in like We don't know. We're probably in the top 1% of all podcasts in the world. No big deal. Heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great to be with you. Great to be heard. Uh, Looking forward to to this week's show. But we did have some time off. We didn't have a show last week uh, celebrating Independence Day. Uh, You and I both had different experiences, but we want to take a second to recap that and just to share... A good week off. I know you had uh, the Beantown extravaganza is what I keep calling it when I'm talking with you about uh, your time over. Not only time back in Boston, but some long miles to get there as well. You didn't take the plane back. You you, you didn't hop on a bus either, but you were taking roads that I know will take during the season to head out east. Not quite that far, but nonetheless to head east. How was Beantown? How was uh, your 4th of July celebration? It was good. So yeah, I, I, I drove. Uh, like a lunatic all 18 hours back to Massachusetts because uh, I brought my dog with me, dog, seven-month-old puppy, and, you know, family wanted to see the dog and everything. So I said, we'll hop in the back seat, we'll go. And, yeah, you know, drove through Rockford, drove through Chicago, and, and I guess that's really it for our opponents. Uh, I passed, signed that said Milwaukee, so that counts for something. Um, but, yeah, no, it was good. It's always good to, to go and, and go back, spend time with family. We have a um, – big fourth of july party every year at our house and then uh we did that on saturday so uh, on the fourth itself i had a full day of baseball i went to fenway in the afternoon to watch the red Sox, and then back into worcester to watch their triple a team play uh that night see some fireworks uh but yeah it was a lot of fun the drive was not that bad uh the dog was great she did pee in the back seat on Ooh. the way to massachusetts which wasn't great i got to like toledo and I hit like a stretch. Like I knew she had to go to the bathroom. I got to a stretch where there was like no rest stop, nowhere to pull off really. And she, she's got like ADHD. So like if I'd stopped, just pulled over on the like in the breakdown lane, she never would have gone to the bathroom. Uh, and then next thing I know, I'm in Toledo, and my car just smelled like buttered popcorn. And I turned around, and the whole, her whole like uh, seat protector thing in the back seat was just uh, filled with. With P, so uh, that wasn't great. I had to get my car detailed and everything, which I cost a lot of money, but um, it was good. I had a good trip. Other so you had a really something like you had a great for yeah. it, man. And really then I and then I drove it. all the way back, and she slept the whole way. Um, so the the rides were they were what they were. I had plenty of podcasts, including this one. And you know, like watch the game film, take your notes, listen to the podcast uh, on the way out. Uh, so hope everybody enjoyed the Al Stalock episode. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my, my week in, in a nutshell. How was, how was yours? What'd you do? Well, first off the great journalist that I am, I have to ask a follow-up question because okay. I was sitting here listening as a great journalist is taught to do in journalism school game notes. Did you make any notes about whether it be me or you or us on the podcast? Yeah, things, we, things we need to iron out. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I think we're, I think. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, we're trying to, going to try to to add some things in here and there. Obviously, getting presenting sponsors big, uh, making sure that you viewers or you listeners, you know, you go like, subscribe to the podcast, 
review us, give us that five-star review, tell us how much you love seeing Ben's face on YouTube or, or, or hearing the sounds of our voices. You know, that stuff goes a long way. So uh, make sure you do all that stuff. Um, other than that, I think I think we're all right. You would you would make comments to me about so you know, really I'm a little long-winded, uh, and I was like, I don't think it's that bad. But Henry Wordsworth Longfellow over here with some questions. Sometimes now I really got to land the plane. I don't yeah, land it sometimes. I've I got the green light street. now to just tell you to shut it. Yes, and, uh, you do. I will be taking advantage of that at some yeah. point. I don't know when. Probably in a really high-profile interview when we get somebody that we shouldn't do it in, you'll cut me off in the yeah, middle of a sure. question. Yeah, like for we get sure. Bill Guerin on here, and, and I'm asking him a question, and you just slam your <laughs> hand on the table. <laughs> like, ben, that's yeah. enough. Ben, that's enough. Bill doesn't have enough time <laughs> Bill doesn't this. need the backstory <laughs> to your question. And, yeah, it's a whole thing. My fourth was great. Uh, I, I can sh- I'd can. i love to share this on, on the podcast because it's something my family has done uh, for a long time, and I won't get into the immense details of it, and it's going to sound um, – to use your your word, a little bit like a lunatic thing, but we do every year as a family, my, my family and my wife has been forced to walk into this as marrying into the family. There, there's been a, there's parades everywhere during mm-hmm. the 4th of July. My, my family uh, goes up to a lake place and there's a boat parade and has been for years. Uh, and usually everybody will decorate their boats, very American themed and, and very 4th of July themed. And we did that as well. And I don't know how this ever started. One year, my family's very theatrical and artistic. Um, And so we have literally in my my parents' house, there is a costume room full of, because my sisters have danced and performed. My mom has danced and performed. I'm looking at his face and I think, continue. So at one point, we decided to dress up like pirates for the parade. And just, I don't, I don't know why it wasn't non-patriotic by any means though, by saying it out loud, it kind of seems non-patriotic. The next year after we did the pirate thing, there was another pirate boat and we didn't like that because we want, we we're very much, I mean, that's why, well, I mean, I'm in broadcasting, right? Sure. You, you want to be on television, you know, we're very yeah, much, yeah. we want to be the star of the show. Yeah. And so then every year thereafter, we've done a different theme. So we've done uh, Star Wars, Peter Pan. Um, we have done, um, We've done Little Mermaid, big Disney family, um, all kinds of these different. Uh, we did a Rock the Boat theme one year. I dressed up as Angus Young, and it's kind of become this little. It's a small lake, so we kind of know everybody on the lake. Sure. Um, and this year we did a Western themed. Uh, so we had you know six shooters, and my dad, who's a huge Clint Eastwood fan, I looked almost identical to Josie Wales and Clint Eastwood. So um, if you look hard enough, you might be able to find some pictures of that. Uh, I don't have enough. a I don't have a Facebook anymore, so you'd have to really do some digging and creeping but um they're around well uh, let's let's make great, this real easy costumes. for everybody ben go get us all of those pictures <laughs> dating back to star wars so as you're rattling them off here marquise can just super boom 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 i have, I have to double check with my family to make sure they're okay with that but um so that that's something i look forward to every year because uh, you know there's music and my sister uh who who uh moonlights as a, as a dance instructor she'll she'll come up with a like a dance number that we'll do to a, a music it's it's oh, a whole so grand is there a video you guys dancing somewhere i need all of this i don't this know is... yeah it's it's a huge treasure if you it's a treasure trail of of content for for our family but um so that's something we look forward to every year but got to do it's funny my 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 in-laws side is very um you know very simple and it's it's a nice it's a nice balance because mm-hmm. my family side it's always crazy and there's you know 
all this planning that goes there. And then on the in-laws side, it's very simple. And we just sit around and we talk and have good conversation and, and, you know, eat good meals. And so it's a nice, for me, it's a nice duality because we get yeah. the front end is you kind of relax with the in-laws. It's good. It's the simple. Yin and yang. Yes. And then you yeah. go to my family and it's just, it's bonkers for 48 yeah. hours. But, uh, so, you know, long story short, again, I was long winded, but that, that was, that's usually what, what my 4th of July consists of every year. I've, I've also got to add, and I, I don't know how I brush past this. So the, our 4th of July party every year, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, we try to do it big and we have a lot of fun with it. We don't have fireworks or anything like that, but it's, you know, it's, this was our 10th anniversary of this 4th of July party. It started years ago when my parents were out of town, me and my brother started it and it kind of took off. We have all kinds of food, like it's too much food, good drinks, like it's, it's a whole thing. But with it being the 10th, 10th year, uh, last year I have a, it's a, I have a note in my phone. And it's from July 4th last year, so 2021, at about 6 o'clock at night. So we've been having a good time all day. Brought it, we had a hot dog eating contest this year at our house. And uh, let me tell you, I have so <laughs> much respect for Joey Chestnut, Joey Chestnut and baby. what he does year in and year out. Because, I mean, this year was a down year for Joey Chestnut. He ate 60-something hot dogs. I know he's... He had a, a boot on, and he had to choke out a protester in the in the middle. Of the, like, amazing, by the way, that he's able to do all that and still win by 20 hot dogs. But down here, but to eat that many hot dogs in 10 minutes, I ate four in 10 minutes, and I wanted to die. So, like, I don't know how they do it, but it's unbelievable. And uh, that was that was a lot of fun. The winner in our contest ate, I think, 10 and a half hot dogs in 10 minutes. For an amateur, that's really yeah, impressive. Yeah, which was, I mean... I don't know. I did learn this year, though, watching the hot dog eating contest. It's like I, the Super Bowl and the hot dog eating contest are two, like, must-watch things for me every year. Uh, but I learned that condiments are optional, and I felt like thinking back to our party, like, had I, if I had had mustard or something on a hot dog, I would have been able to eat way more. Think I so. went to the baseball game and had four Coney Island hot dogs. I was like, I could pop four more of these easy. Just the plain hot dogs, man. Did I you guess. dip it in water? Uh, disgusting. Yeah, so that sounds really nasty. It starts, and I grab two hot dogs out of the buns. I start eating those, and then I'm like, all right, I can dunk the buns and go. That was the last time I did that. Uh, just the, the wet, soggy bun <sighs> is terrible. Um, so I don't know. There's talks about our next year's 4th of July party. Probably not going to do a hot dog eating contest, but this eating contest thing might come back up. Don't know what we're going to do. My brother emceed the whole thing. He had everybody in stitches. That was probably part of the reason why hot dogs – uh, we're not consumed in, in high amounts because everybody was trying was laughing while they were eating. Uh, but should, I have a picture somewhere of, of the grill at home, and we had like 80 hot dogs on the grill because we didn't know how many we were going to need. Um, I think everybody thought they were going to eat more than they did. But, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. So like you guys, we kind of – there you have it. There's yeah. a, a Goldstein 4th of July family tradition, a Gislason yeah. uh, 4th of July family tradition. If anybody else has, has great family traditions out there that are listening over the 4th love of July, you know, tweet us, you know, direct message us. We'd love to hear about them. Um, you brought up 
the anniversary was it you said 10 years yeah, you said for 10 years what a great great, great transition segue. uh into uh a new segment we're going to be introing here as presented by our sponsor explore minnesota 10-year tidbits uh, presented by explore minnesota exploreminnesota.com is the best resource for your next summer getaway discover the great outdoors iconic must-see destinations places to stay and activities of all kinds plus you'll want to discover hundreds of events and concerts from around the state enter your dream state by visiting exploreminnesota.com. Joey, this was your brainchild, the 10-year tidbits. Um, give us a little bit of a preamble, and then we'll get to those tidbits. Yeah, so the thought was, obviously, with it being our 10-year anniversary, just trying to let the listeners and the viewers know, like, what are things they should be aware of over the next, you know, week, basically leading into our next episode? What were some things that happened in the past week or, in, you know, things we may have missed from episode to episode of things people should be aware of? So this could be news on promotions it could be news on our staff like if we've got new staff that join us or if we have internal promotions from within um it could be iowa wild news it could be just ahl news minnesota wild news nhl news anything that's kind of big and noteworthy that we think everybody should be in, be aware of we're going to try and, and throw those things down it could be you know you may have 10-year tidbits it might be one or two things in one week it might be a week where there's a little bit more i think this week we've got kind of five things to really to really hit on so um yeah, we'll, we'll roll through them and see what we got. Tidbit number one, uh, the flower does not say bonjour to Minnesota. Uh, he returns. Is bonjour, is that is that goodbye or is that Au hello? Au revoir. Au revoir, thank you. There we go. Can't speak French. Learned that this Those week. Those are the only two words Yeah, did I not know. say au revoir. I was trying to be so clever with that, and it just crashed and burned. But anyway, Marc-Andre Fleury has re-signed a two-years, $7 million deal, a 3.5 AAV, which is a good number. It's not one that's going to, to – crunch the cap even more crunched than it is for Minnesota. Obviously we were talking about it all summer I, internally. If flurry does not come back all of a sudden you've got Talbot and Hunter Jones and Jesper Wallstead. And those are kind of your, your guys right now. Mm -hmm. Derek Barabo has not been re-signed. So flurry coming back solidifies a lot. Uh, if they can iron out, what the media reports to be issues between Cam Talbot and Bill Guerin. Bill Guerin doesn't seem to think there's issues between Cam Talbot and Bill Guerin, which I tend to agree with Bill Guerin more than I would agree with the media on, only because sometimes the media does tend to blow things up a little bit as a member of the media myself, though I yeah. do, work, do work for an organization. Um, but that's a heck of a one-two punch. Cam Talbot, you hope, can have somewhat of the similar year that he had You know, last year. It was I probably, I don't know the numbers in front of me, probably his best statistical year he's ever had. He was an all-star. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a great one to punch, um, and it's an opportunity, I, I think, for Marc-Andre Fleury. I think as it was reported, he was looking for, he wants to win and he wants what's best for his family. He would not have re-signed if he didn't think one Minnesota couldn't win and two if he didn't like Minnesota. So a nice vote of confidence um, for a destination that does catch some flack sometimes yeah. uh, around the league for being a place that, well, we, you know, Minnesota can't sign these big free agents. They can't get these players because they don't want to live in Minnesota or they don't think Minnesota can win. And, and those two things were reasons why Mark Andre Fleury was looking to sign somewhere. He signs in Minnesota. So to me, that's a slam dunk deal. I'm excited about it. It really solidifies the back end for, for Minnesota, which you have to have it to win. It's period. There's no – you can sneak away without it. You have to have goaltending to win. And to me, it seems like those two options are great options. And I'd imagine they'll, they'll hope to ride both of them on, on different – 
months, different stances yeah. of the season, depending on how they're playing, and um, that'll be a great backstop for the Wild. Yeah, you can play the hot hand at that yep. point, and I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, listen, if you're if you're Cam Talbot, I'm sure to some degree, like no nobody wants to have to split time, right? That's that's not ideal, but. Bill Guerin doesn't seem too concerned with it, so I don't think anybody else should be too concerned with it. You're in a great spot. You have two starting caliber goaltenders to backstop you throughout the season, and clearly that's where Bill Guerin wants to build that team out from the back end. And I think it's a great pickup for you know bringing him back. I think that's fantastic. Obviously, he's the guy that everybody was hoping for. Now you don't have to worry about trying to go into the UFA market for goalies, which is very thin this year. Yeah. So like, there's not a whole lot out there. So I mean, you guys got Minnesota gets the, the the highest caliber free agent goalie who's out there. I think so. Like being able to bring him back, like that's that's a huge get for Minnesota. And then they also re-signed Jake Middleton, which I think is yeah. probably an underrated sign. He, Mids is my guy. I had him out in San Jose. He was fantastic. Uh, great personality, obviously, which everybody I think has seen the mustache, the missing teeth. He's he's got that look. Um, obviously, the, the fans have have loved him, but he's a guy who was undrafted, he he would he, we had him. Uh, he would joke that he was picked before he was the pick before Connor McDavid, which I guess is true because uh, he was the last pick the year before McDavid <laughs> went. So that's like his claim to fame. Uh, but like he he was like the like late late guy, late bloomer, played through the American Hockey League in his time, AHL All Star, gets that NHL contract, gets a little bit of time here and there, gets hurt, and then all of a sudden he's playing first pairing minutes mm-hmm. in San Jose. Really cementing himself as that, you know, defensive presence. He's not going to ever wow you with with his offensive numbers or anything like that. Big on the PK, Minnesota goes and gets him and comes out here and plays with Jared Spurgeon, and the two of them just mesh like they've been playing together for for 15 years. Bring him back for another three years. So I think um, you know, really solidifying that 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 back end is is going to help this team now. I do know on the flip side, there's only a little bit of cap space left. So it's like, what do they do? I know they're hoping that Marco Rossi can eat a very small bit of that mm-hmm. and, and jump into that top six role, maybe replacing where Fiala was, playing with Boldy. Be a little bit of money to go and get that you know, middle six guy. So um, be interesting to see what they do, if there's any way for them to clear more room. I, I don't know if, if there are any plans for that, but free agency opens up. Um, you're listening to this on Tuesday, so it's going to open up tomorrow on Wednesday. So... Um, that's always fun, that free agency flurry, so it'll be interesting to see see what happens there. I was looking through the UFAs, and one guy that, that, that piqued my interest was Val Nishushkin uh, with Colorado. I, I think he was maybe in the three range right now. He'll go up higher than that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know off the top of my head what the cap space is for Minnesota, but he's a guy that I, I looked at and went, hmm, you know, I wonder if he could be a potential fit. Um, so if that does happen – we can go ahead and say you heard it here first, but I have absolutely no idea if they're even at all entertaining <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but a, a, another good transition into another one of our tidbits, Development Camp is this week. We talk about Marco Rossi. He and Adam Beckman will be the two captains at Development Camp. It's a great week. It's a fun week because it's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young players. It's mm-hmm. guys that are, for many of these people, it might be their first real introduction to pro hockey if they're coming out of junior if they're, or if they're coming um, out of amateur hockey 
uh, it's really it's the who's next uh, of the Minnesota Wild, and for a lot and for us here in Iowa, it's maybe the who's next in the very short term future. With the signing of Flurry and Talbot likely still being around, it does make you wonder if the plan is to start Jesper Wallstad here in Iowa. I don't know that to be true or not true, but that's an exciting prospect, obviously, as a first-round pick last year um, and a goaltending first-round pick, which when you have that, it usually means that you're putting a lot of your eggs into this this young man's basket at some point in their career. Um, but Wallstead will be there. I'm going to be uh, headed up uh, to, to see a couple of days at camp, so I'm thrilled to get to watch him in person and to see mm-hmm. what, what his goaltending acumen looks like. We get to see Brock Faber is going to be there, who, of course, came over in the Fiala trade. Um, you know, There's some, some names that some Wild fans will be familiar with. Damon Hunt will be there. He was with the team during the short and COVID season as a defenseman. Uh, you've also got Ryan O'Rourke there. Carson Lambos is a first-round pick. So it's really it's a who's who of who's next for the Minnesota Wilds. So that's an exciting week um, for, for us to have and for the organization to have. And I know that I'm greatly looking forward to getting to see some of this talent. And it's, it's a, such a great week, and there's more than just than practices and skates. I think they're maybe doing a volleyball game. I think they're going to do some go-kart racing. Um, so it's, it's not only a chance to see all these players in the flesh, but it's a chance to get all of them introduced to each other. Um, you get also some players there that are not drafted. You get some invite players. So mm-hmm. for, for those players, you th- those guys have to be just so, so, so amped up, um, which we'll actually we'll talk about literally this exact scenario with Nate Prosser, who was a guy who was an undrafted uh, free agent that came to development camps and then eventually signed with Minnesota Wild. He's, of course, our guest today. He talks about development camp and those processes as well, which is fun, but uh, a fun week for the development camp side. But, but Joey, I want to shift gears to you to talk about 10-year branding because that was another thing that came out. Apologize for the long intro, but we are making up for two weeks of lost time. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So, uh, yeah, so as as many of you have have already seen, we've it's our tenth anniversary season, so we're getting very excited for that, which which will really truly kick off here in the fall. Um, but you know, that that ten year branding's come out. We got a whole new look and feel, uh, which which our graphic designer Travis has been working on, which is outstanding. Tremendous. And then the logo, which really uh, the feedback I've seen is is fantastic. We had a lot of people from um, around our league, but some some people I worked with in San Jose on the NHL side who have now scattered around the league, uh, around the NHL, who had sent a lot of compliments about the logo and whatnot, just how we worked the 10 into Iowa and kept the the, the shape of the state worked in there as well. And, and um, it's just it's just a clean look, clean feel. So it's, I'm excited to finally have that out there. We've obviously been sitting on it for a little bit, waiting for that right moment to, to put it out for people to see. But now that it's out there, um, you know, we can talk about it. Obviously, there's those patches will be on jerseys and whatnot, and there's going to be merch and all kinds of things that'll that'll come with that as as the season progresses. But um, excited to to really start focusing on ten years in Des Moines, you know, growing the sport of hockey over in this state over ten years, really connecting the community over ten years. Um, it's there, there's been a lot of good work done here, so it's highlighting all of that, and then looking forward to you know what are the next ten going to look like? What are we going to do you know in the future? So. A um, lot of fun things, a lot of exciting things coming up, um, and now that we're in in the swing of it, we'll start uh, rolling that out here as we get closer to October, October 14th. It's coming up quick. And there on October 14th will be uh, a player who Iowa Wild fans have really gotten to know and like over the last several seasons. Uh, Defenseman Turner Ottenbright signs an AHL deal uh, on Monday. Uh, that's a great re-signing. It was one that I figured would get done quickly. He likes it here. 
they like him. No surprise that w- you know when I was given the the green light to write this, he was the first player I thought we might hear about, and lo and behold, he is mm-hmm. um, just as solid and dependable as you could ask for. A plays such a, a nasty style of hockey, which again you know that I love on the yeah. podcast. I talk about it a lot, but um, he's you know he's big six three one ninety five um, and had a, a career year last year. I mean mm-hmm. sixty eight games that almost tripled his output previously in the American Hockey League. He had twenty points on the year. 17 assists he came up with some really big plays during the year it was not just a season even though he is known for blocking shots and being physical and fighting if he has to and playing that that middle defenseman role three four spot and doing it very very well but he came up with some really big plays mm-hmm. and some big offensive plays um, when he needed to last year so uh, excited to have Turner back he's a tremendous kid too uh, and it's just a good dude to have in the locker room as well so that's a great first uh, building block to have for your team next year um, especially for a team that will likely have some younger defensemen too you know you might see Ryan O'Rourke Damon Hunt um, maybe Carson Lambos, depending on where they think he those those mm-hmm. players are at, um, and you're going to need players that get pro hockey, that get life here in Iowa, that get, you know, he's seen other people that have come and gone, that have made their way to the NHL, even mm-hmm. though he hasn't been someone that's done that potentially yet, but. That's a huge get, I think, for, for Iowa, and I'm excited, obviously, to have Turner back not only on the ice but off the ice too. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who played in pretty much almost every game yeah. throughout the season. That he was he one of the guys who was out with with COVID at one point. Like there was a reason he missed time. It wasn't because he like might have been. it wasn't because so they pulled him out point. of the lineup. If he was healthy, he was in. And he was a guy who was getting a lot of ice time. You know, like you said, he had a career year, big you know, big offensive numbers, but big in comparison to what he had put up yes. before. I think. A, a good comparison for Turner Ottenbright is Jake Middleton. He is well done. He is your he is our the Iowa Wild version of Jake Middleton. He's not going to wow you offensively, but he's reliable. You know he's going to be there on the back end. He's physical. He's going to block shots. He's going to stick up for his teammates. He's going to do that. He's a guy you can trust on the penalty kill. He's he's your version of Jake Middleton here in Iowa, and I think it's a great piece to have back for all those reasons you said. To finish on our 10-year tidbits before we get to a little bit of a, a short, short intro on, on Nate Prosser, which was a terrific interview, uh, the, the draft uh, that happened last week, the Minnesota Wild uh, selecting eight players in the draft. And one thing I noted was, is there a pipeline starting between Bill Guerin and the Swedish Hockey League? You had Jesper Wallstead last year. This year, it's uh, Liam Ogren from Jure Gardens, a uh, left winger who from – all I've never seen him play from what I can read, from what you know, mm-hmm. Russo's written about him or what you've seen in the press releases. Big frame, big shot are the two things I've heard, and, and those things are always enticing, I think, for a power forward perspective. I, From a forward look, in my opinion, I love watching power forwards the most of anything because I think they have the most single-handed ability to change a game, with the exception of a McDavid or these generational sure. yeah, players. Yeah. But when you're looking at, at more the non-generational players, but the high-end players that can change the scope of your offense, a power forward type player. Uh, Liam Ogren could do that, and then they had uh, Danila Yurov as well. I don't know as much about him. Didn't read into him as much as I did about Ogren. Those are your two first-round picks, and then uh, six other picks from there the next day. But every team leaves the draft, and they all think they had a great draft. But I'm very excited to get up to development camp and to, and to get a chance to rub elbows, probably not with Bill Guerin as much, but sure. with some of the other people, to talk to Mike Murray a little bit too yeah. and, and to maybe talk to Judd Brackett, the director yeah. of amateur scouting, and see a little bit more and get a little more detail on who some of these kids are and maybe who are they comparing them to, who do they think mm-hmm. maybe they could turn out to be in the long run. Yeah, I mean, these are guys, we're, we're, we won't see them here in Iowa for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but um, obviously they're going to be up at development camp, so if you're an Iowa Wild fan, like take the trip up. 
practices Absolutely. are free to the public. Three on three is free to the public. I think one, I mean, I can't sit here and, and talk about the prospects. I don't know anything about really most of these kids that they picked aside from what the reports have come out, mm-hmm. what they said in the draft and whatnot. But having, I think it was six picks, I mean, you had two first rounds, two second rounds, two third rounds, if I'm not mistaken, within the top 60. Like, yeah, these are, four in the top 60. Yeah, four, yep. four, so four yep. in the top 60. Mm-hmm. That's high-level talent. Yes. You know what I mean? So, And not only that, but it's not like, you know, you mentioned the pipeline between the Swedish Hockey League. It's not all concentrated just in Swedish Hockey League. I think they, they took a player from every league across the world, basically. They took guys who were playing – we're going to play NCAA hockey. They took guys in the USHL, the Swedish Hockey League. They took guys from the KHL. Like, they took guys from all the major junior leagues. Like, every, everywhere is kind of yeah. covered. And then I know I heard Judd Brackett talk about it where it's like, you know, that that's just a credit to the scouting department that everybody's pulling the same the same line. Everybody's going the same direction. You know, P.J. Fleck, everybody's rowing the boat. You know, everybody's doing their thing. <laughs> to, wow, to, to go push. for reference. I'm, listen, all I know right. what I'm doing here. So everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction, which I think is, is what you want. Everybody's got the right mindset and everybody's pushing towards the same thing. And so big credit to, to Bill and, and Judd Brackett for, for making that happen. Now you nailed it. Uh, OHL, QMJHL, USHL, WHL, uh, KHL mentioned the, the Swedish hockey league. And then even the Alberta junior hockey league, uh, a not so drafted from league, not that there right. haven't been players that have come out of there, but you don't compare those leagues to the major junior mm-hmm. as much as, as you do maybe the AJHL closer to maybe the North American hockey league in the United States for those familiar with, with, with those leagues. But, um, so a, a good draft by all accounts, um, someone who was not drafted, and who came out of NCAA college hockey with the Colorado College Tigers, Nate Prosser. He was here with the Iowa Wild in 2018-19. Also predated Iowa. Uh, his AHL career started with the Houston Arrows in 2011. I know we have some uh, Arrows fans that are still with us that will remember mm-hmm. Nate Prosser from uh, the best season any minor league affiliate of the Minnesota Wild has ever had, uh, going to the Calder Cup Finals that year and losing to Binghamton. Um, but you know, when we were talking about Nate Prosser, after we got done with the interview, you and I are, are, are big personalities and we like to bring out these great stories and have a lot of laughs. Not that we didn't laugh with Nate, but the one thing that shines true in this interview to me, and it's no surprise because when I was reaching out to people to try to get some tidbits on on, on Nate, the one thing that, that came across from every single person is one of, if not the kindest, nicest person you'll meet in hockey. And that was very evident from the beginning of the interview to the end of our interview that yeah. we did with him. Yeah, he was. I mean, I, same same with me. I you know reach out to people who who have played with him or know him, and it's the same thing. He's a tremendous person. He's I mean, he's humble and he's just great locker room guy, a great leader. You know, someone you want to help mold your younger prospects. It's just the kind of the the role he turned into later later mm-hmm. in his his career. But um, yeah, I had a great time talking with him, hearing about kind of his journey and um, really that that. Calder Cup run that they went on was it was great to hear about because you know it's one of those he he had mentioned it where it's like it's it was one of those things where everybody just kind of showed up and and they were just everybody was was committed you know sometimes you can get in the American League where guys are worried about the next call up things like that no these guys they they are here and they their goal was truly let's we're gonna win the Calder Cup and that's what everybody pushed for everybody went in the same direction um, so hearing him talk about just how natural it was for all those guys to to connect and and have a good time together i mean that was that's always fun to hear about because those those teams that that win or go to the finals like they are very very tight-knit groups um and if you don't have that those you never hear of a team that won or went to the finals that wasn't a close group off the ice and these guys seem to to check all those boxes so 
I'm excited for everybody to hear it. Um, that may be a little different than some of the interviews we've done already, mm -hmm. but um, certainly insightful, and I think people are going to love it. And some spectacular lessons for the young hockey player out oh, yeah. there. Uh, Mom and Dad, if you're listening, or if any of these players are listening, this is a really good one because some of the stuff he says – no matter if you're the best player on your team or the worst player on your team, you can use what he talks about because mm -hmm. he talks about that. Oh, he was never, he was never the best anywhere he went. He was never the best player, mm -hmm. but he just kept working and he kept learning and he kept, and he kept earning himself more ice time. Um, so really, really good stuff from Nate Prosser. After the interview, we do have the long awaited keeping up with the Kardashians report. I'm ready for that. So excited. Um, so if you, if you, if you, the only reason you're tuning in is to hear me talk about keeping up with the Kardashians, uh, you'll have to wait until after the Nate Prosser interviews. Do wait, do listen to it. It's great. Um, so, Without any further ado, uh, let's head into the second period and talk with former Iowa Wild and Minnesota Wild defenseman Nate Prosser. Our next guest aboard the bus on the Ride the Bus podcast is former defenseman for not only the Minnesota Wild, the Philadelphia Flyers, briefly the St. Louis Blues, uh, but especially here with the Iowa Wild and the Houston Arrows. And from what I've been told, one hell of a nice guy, Nate Prosser. Uh, Nate, it's great to have you aboard the bus with us, and thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on and chuck some cards around with you guys. That's a perfect segue uh, to our first question that we begin with for everybody. It, we are on the bus. We want to make our listeners and our viewers feel like they're on the bus with us. So when you think about your time on the bus, is there one particular story that comes up that you think back on and, and think, boy, I can't believe this happened and I was on the bus for this moment? Um, you know what? There's not like one specific memory the the best memories I have of, of hockey in general is like the plane rides and the bus rides. Honestly, like that's what I miss the most are, are the road trips, um, which is kind of funny, you know, because not you know, people think, okay, people probably just sleep on the bus and you want to get from point A to point B as quick as you can. But we really enjoyed our time on the bus. We, you know, especially in, you know, in Iowa and in Houston, like we'd stop and, you know, load up on snacks and um, you know, try to, keep it as healthy as possible, obviously. Um, but uh, we uh, played a lot of cards, you know, a lot of, you know, seven up, seven down and schnarps. And um, I, was, I was able to get to the back of the bus pretty quick to, you know, sharpen the card game. And um, I, I just, I love playing cards, all, all kinds of games. And I think those are uh, definitely the, the memories I'll, I'll cherish the most. When you were with the Iowa Wild, who was the card shark and who was the card... I don't know. Do you want to say flounder? What, what's a lame fish, Joey? I mean, is there is there what's the antithesis of a card shark? Flounder sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Was no, there a best a and a worst shark. player? Yeah. No, I think Cal O'Reilly. <laughs> he, he always does well. Um, Matt Barkowski was decent. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Andrew Hammond was all right. Uh, Leambus seemed to pay out. Um, uh, Matt Reed was decent. He, I, I'd say Cal O'Reilly and Matt Reed were probably the top two. I think that they, they just knew the game that, you know, they're playing it for a long time all year. And I, I came down to Iowa a little later and I had to get re readjusted to that game. You know, I was playing, um, you know, we played a lot of like cribbage on, on the plane with Minnesota and, and Texas Hold'em and, um, and then, uh, you know, go, you know, going to the Iowa wild, they're, they're more seven up, seven down. So, 
Um, again, like I, I was all for, you know, any game and, uh, and let's just, you know, check some cards around to, to pass time and to exchange a few, you know, twenties or hundreds, whatever it may be. We're going to talk a lot of stories here today, Nate. Uh, I do want to go back though, and, and really walk a little bit through your career and go all the way back to another organization and team that you did ride buses on. And that was with the Elk River Elks. One of the players that as a Minnesotan myself, when I think about Elk River, I think about yourself. I also think about Paul Martin in a one-on-one -on -one game. Who do you think would have the best of that one-on-one -on -one battle? Uh, you or Paul Martin, who, who would take oh, that championship man. trophy? <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. I, don't, I mean, he's so dang silky smooth. Um, and all of his career, I loved watching that guy. And I never saw him get hit or throw a hit. Um, he's just kind of buttery, smooth, head up, making nice little plays through the middle and to the wingers. And um, I, he... I, I mean, it, it would have to go him. Just I'm more kind of probably... Uh, uh, reckless, I guess you can say. Even though I, I was good positionally, but um, I, I he was kind of my idol growing up. Um, he was like five years older than me, so I was able to watch him through all my youth and especially in high school. He didn't leave the leave the ice. Like I think the coach even said, I'd rather have <laughs> Paul Martin on the ice at you know sixty percent than you know a couple of the other guys under, which you know is a big shot at the other guys, but. It just goes to show how good he was, in, you know, and still, I still skate with him um, on outdoor rinks here at, you know, like Justin Morneau's house. And he's still like that same player making like little soft, little silky passes and um, just, just a surgeon out there. I, so I clearly, I mean, you just mentioned Justin Morneau, obviously you're wearing the twins hat. You're a big twins guy. Is this, how do we feel about the twins this year? Is this their year? I know they, they made some moves. They brought in yeah. Correa. So like, do we think they got a chance to make some noise? What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I love uh, you know having them on. They're they're my team in the summer, and uh, I have them on you know almost nightly, just when I'm grilling or you know making dinner or something. And um, I, over the last like couple of weeks, we've blown some games against like Cleveland and the White Sox with our bullpen. So uh, it'd be cool if we added you know an arm or two in there, but. Um, I like our hitting. I like, you know, a rise at the top. That guy is just a base hit muncher. And then uh, you got Bucks and, you know, you know, crushing the ball right now. I think he's got 22 bombs. So, um, and then you throw Correa in there and Gio Urshela. That guy, I mean, I love that guy too. And um, so, I don't know. I, I love the Twins. They're, they're, they're my, probably my favorite sports team in general. And, um, I, you know, I've just always liked that they're the underdog and, um, um, you know, obviously some heartbreaking losses against, you know, the Yankees all the time. But, um, you know, you never know. Just get into the playoffs and you never know what happens. I mean, you see that in the NHL all the time, like eight seeds and seven seeds making runs. And, um, you know, it's kind of similar to that with the MLB. Mm -hmm. So hometown guy from Minnesota. So getting, you know, you're an undrafted player getting the opportunity to sign with the wild what was that experience like for you what did your family think of the whole thing i mean walk walk us through it yeah i remember signing that signing day like it was yesterday honestly and it was uh, i think it was like 12 years ago something like that 13 years ago or something um so yeah i, I was kind of just always the underdog i was kind of a late bloomer i uh was five two until i hit my growth spurt and like it's ninth to 10th grade. So, I, you know, I went through 
puberty late, you know, not to get into too crazy detail, but um, I, I was just a, a late bloomer. So, you know, I, I, I didn't make a lot of the big AAA teams and select 15, 16, 17s. I didn't make any of those teams. Um, I started to get on, uh, you know, teams radars probably around when I was 17. And um, that's when I was able to go to um, the USHL and play for the Sioux Falls Stampede. And I think from age like 17 to 24, um, all the way through um, my four years at Colorado College, I just continued to grow and get stronger and faster and, you know, kind of develop and, you know, you know, uh, you know, build my game. And uh, so my last game at Colorado College, we were up in Duluth and it was uh, game, you know, we played a series of three. It was game three and we lost. And my agent came up to me after the game. He's like, well, you got some interest um, right out of the hop. You know, I've been talking, with, you know, with a few scouts and everything. Uh, I'm like, okay, like, what does that mean? Um, he's like, well, instead of going back with your team, come down to the Twin Cities with us. And we got some things to discuss. So I did that. And, um, you know, there's a period of probably five to five days to a week there where, you know, we're just kind of seeing what, where that interest was, um, being undrafted, um, having a few good years in the WCHA was, um, I was able to kind of have a few teams that were interested I think five or six teams. So just so happened that Minnesota wild was one of them. And, um, I just felt like that, that, that route was going to be the best one for me because they wanted me to come play in the NHL right away. And I just remember when, when we did finally do that, I was at my old house in Elk River. It was me and my mom and my brother. I don't know where my dad and sister were on that day, but as us three were out in the driveway and Chuck Fletcher calls and, you know, we, we agreed to, you know, sign there. And he's like, well, you know, get on the plane. We're in Columbus um, tomorrow. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and just like the tears and the happiness to start flowing. We all started hugging each other and kind of jumping up and down and, um, you know, just kind of just being the underdog and the guy that was, almost always kind of looked over all, all my life. Um, I wasn't supposed to make it to the NHL and I was never supposed to, you know, sign an NHL deal. Um, so it, uh, it is just kind of a truly special moment for, for me and, um, obviously my family and, um, and it, it, uh, yeah, it was one of those days that I'll always remember as, you know, just that I remember it was sunny out. I remember, I mean, I, the birds were chirping literally like, it was like, I don't know, God smiling down on us that day and just saying, Hey, well, you know, this is the reward. And, uh, you know, I just, it was, it was something special for me and my family. You said you not a guy who probably should have been in the NHL. I mean, what do you, what do you think it is about the way you played through your time at Colorado college college? What do you think it is that got you to the next step? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I, I, the, the coaches and the, the staff and the, and the strength trainers, you know, I was able to develop there, you know, playing WCHA is the, was the best league um, for, for a lot, a lot of years. And um, especially through my years, you know, we got the Gophers in North Dakota and Denver and um, Duluth and Mankato and St. Cloud in Wisconsin. I mean, it, it was literally every weekend you're playing against the best of the best in college hockey. So I think, you know, just being able to, be in that league and on that team and um, and just getting 
physically stronger, I think, uh, will help me a lot. And, and, and through those years, I think, uh, after my sophomore year, I went to development camp. And after my junior year, I went to development camp. I went to the Islanders and the blues and then the wild, I think I went to three development camps and, um, I, I, I just, uh, felt like I, 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 something in me wanted to see where I, I lined up against the Europeans and the Canadians and the first and second rounders. And I think, you know, going there and, and playing well and, and seeing like, I'm not too far off, almost put some kind of fire in me to be like, okay, uh, if I'm, if I'm this close to this, you know, first or second round prospect defenseman on the Islanders or the blues, I I'm, I'm not, I, I got to push it a little bit more to, to, to get to that level. And, um, so I always kind of had that inner drive in me to, you know, outwork my, my opponent. And, um, you know, that, you know, I, I think something I always pride myself on was my work ethic and my attitude. And I think th those two, uh, definitely helped me. I mean, it's so cliche to say, cause everyone can say those two things, but honestly, it was like, if, if growing up, if I knew, uh, a, a blades player was working this hard, I knew I had to work this hard and, and, um, it, it was, it, it, it has to come from within. It can't come from your dad or your mom or your agent or, um, your grandpa, you know, it, that, that drive to make the NHL. I, I tell kids all, all this, um, to this all the time is like, I played with thousands of, uh, pro players. Not one of them had a bad work ethic. Everyone works their, 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 their balls off. You know, it's like, there's no cutting corners. There's no, um, you know, trying to get by doing six reps instead of eight. You know, it's, it's, you have to put in the work to, to get there. And, and I, I pride myself on, you know, putting in that, that extra work. My, my last one, last Minnesota question before I turn it over to Ben. So throughout your career, you know, not necessarily known as a goal scorer, but in 2012, you sign a contract extension and then you make this guarantee with the media, you make this promise. Can you walk us through your thought process behind saying, I'm going to go out, I'm going to score a goal ahead of my, uh, you know, in the next game and then going out and actually doing it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was more of like kind of joking around, just exactly like you said. Um, uh, I don't know. It was uh, my first goal um, is in Columbus. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I was just more goofing around with my teammates and maybe they took it as like, okay, let, like he's guaranteeing it. But, um, you know, I, it, it's, uh, I remember that goal like as yesterday as well. Like just, you know, puck went out to Justin Falk on the left point. He moved it across. I kind of went off the end, the sideboards and I one tight one time it off the end boards. And, um, you know, just kind of happy that that went in and, and, uh, guys after were like, you shouldn't have signed yet. You should have scored first. And then your price would have went up a little bit. Every goal is, is another, you know, a hundred grand or whatever, but uh, no, I don't know. We just kind of made a joke of it, but you know, signing that, uh, that, that first uh, one-way contract was, you know, obviously something special as well. Um, just again, I, I, I never thought I was going to play in the NHL and to, to make a career of it, you know, I, you know, was it was a dream come true for sure. I, I, I thought, you know, I would 
you know, give pro hockey a try. Even, even after we lost it in Duluth and then I signed this. So I'm like, okay, maybe this lasts for two to three years and I move on and, you know, go get into the business world or something like that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'd still be extremely happy with that, but um, I just found a, a little role in a, in a niche that uh, um, a, a GM and a coach loved. And, and I just kind of rode with those guys. Finding that role for you professionally began in 2011 with the Houston Arrows, a team that had an immense amount of success falling to the Binghamton Senators in the Calder Cup Finals. Looking at some of the names on that team, guys that went on to have great careers like you did, obviously Jared Spurgeon still playing, the captain of the Minnesota Wild. You got Marco Scandella on that team. Uh, I look across the ice, some of the guys you played against on that Senators team, Mike Hoffman, Robin Lehner, Eric Griba, the list goes on. I mean, it was a pretty usual in the AHL, a star-studded uh, list of characters that maybe weren't stars yet, but they became so later. When you look back on that year and that time in Houston, who were maybe some of the mentors that, that you had that, that helped Help teach you how to be a pro because you talk to anybody who walks into pro hockey and almost more so than the X's and O's or the on ice stuff. Some of the things people struggle with most is just becoming a pro and learning that pro lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you bring up Houston and honestly, like I have chills on my arms. Like it's, it, it was the, one of those years that was so dang special. And I, I, I did a podcast yesterday with Jared Spurgeon. It's like all we talked about, it was, it was like a, no year could replace it. I think in all my career, I played for, you know, 33 years of my life. I think my favorite year of hockey was, you know, playing in Houston, Texas of all places. Like, I mean, it's just one of those years where um, we were all kind of, they, they brought in all their prospects. It was kind of a younger team. You know, we had Spurgeon and Noro and Scandella and Falk, um, Bagnall and Fred, um, 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 Wellman, and then you know our older guys were like DeSalvatore, um, Jed Ortmeyer, Warren Peters, and Patrick O'Sullivan, and those guys were great leaders. They the the locker room gelled like I don't think I've ever seen before, especially in the American Hockey League, where I don't know it, it it's it's almost like a spot where no one really wants to be because if you're down there, you feel like you should be up and um and, and you everyone's goal is to get up so no one really wants to be there but in that 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 instance that that season it was like it was like i don't know it's like magic where like we all really enjoyed being a part of that team and we we all lived in the same apartment complex with you know there's like a pool right in the middle where we get done with practice and we we're in our shorts and flip-flops and we'd all stop at you know whole foods and grab meat and vegetables on the way home and it was like a frat party outside this pool every day. And we, you know, have, you know, a couple of drinks and grill our food. And I mean, like what a life, like I was down there with my wife, no kids yet. We, you know, could go to an afternoon movie. Like we talk about it. Like it was like, you know, it's just a special, special time. I mean, I really wish we could have finished that thing off, but um, going back to all those names on, on the, the, on our team and on Binghamton, uh, it just, it goes to show like GMs want winners. So having that special of a season to go that far, I mean, Minnesota probably was drooling to get all of us up that next season or the season after, you know, Mike Yo ended up going up the next year and he kind of brought us all with him. And, and same with Binghamton, all those guys signed one way deals after that year. And um, again, like it, it, there's something about, being a part of a winning culture that, that that people want. You always see that with the Stanley Cup winners. Like, 
if you win the Stanley Cup, you're you're guaranteed. I mean, pretty much guaranteed to you know play as long as you want after that and and sign your ticket because um, you know winning winning is is fun and everyone wants wants that winner that that knows what it takes to to put their body on the line at, at that, that at that time and um, yeah it, it was a it was a year that uh, I'll never forget uh, just. We, we got such good advice from those, from those older guys too. I, mean, I remember like Patrick O'Sullivan and Jed Artmeyer telling me like, you know, when you get that opportunity, you got to make the most of it. And, um, you know, everyone's going to get their chance. It's, it's what you do to, to stay there that matters. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, just, I mean, there's, there's so many kind of that, those special advice um, that I got from those guys that, that I took to heart because, I knew being undrafted, I was swimming upstream. I knew if if I did get that chance, I I for sure needed to make the most of it. I, it couldn't be a uh, you know a, a vanilla game that you know okay he was okay. No, I mean they they needed to see something in me in me that they didn't want to get rid of. So um, you know getting getting advice from those guys was huge. But just because because they knew what it was like to play in the NHL and they knew what it was like to play in the AHL and they knew. Okay, life on the private plane is is a lot better than on the bus, you know. And um, do what you can to to stay on that on that PJ. And that opportunity came the following season, uh, promoted permanently to the Minnesota Wild, and a, a terrific career from there. Three hundred sixty-five National Hockey League games played, many of them, most of them, with the Minnesota Wild. I want to harken back though to early on. I've heard there was it wasn't your first shift story but close to your first shift you lined up against Jerome Iginla and there's a story that follows lining up against Jerome Iginla what more can you tell us about what happened after that puck dropped yeah it's actually an overtime it was four on four and and I got I got put out there to start the overtime and um at least I think it was overtime um and I I, I lined up and I I said what's up Jerome and he's like he had to like look around my back to see what my name was and I mean he had no idea I mean he's kind of my I mean he's everyone's idol growing up he, he plays the game right away he played hard he scored a ton of goals and um uh I I think I, I don't know maybe I gave him a little whack too or something so really it kind of like set him off and be like okay who is this little you know punk you know and uh <laughs> it's it it special but that that was the kind of game I I, I played I, I played you know kind of a gritty chirping in your face kind of game and that that helped me stay uh involved in games too because I you know I knew my career in the NHL I was, when I played I was always gonna be on the third set and playing you know 10 or 14 minutes and um, in order to do that and stay involved and invested in the game, I, I needed to, you know, be chirping and in guys' ears. And it, it had started early with the Genla. That was my second game. My first game was in Edmonton, um, went well, got an assist and played well. And then my second game, like two nights later, was in Calgary. And, um, yeah, I had to say what's up to Jerome. And then uh, a couple nights later, I was at home against uh, the Dallas Stars at the XL. So, those are my first three games and um, it just kind of got me on the radar. And then that next season I was down in Houston for that year. The chirping, when you talk about that, one thing I know that's interesting that you bring up chirping and playing with that, that grinding attitude, unlike 
boy, it's got to be almost 95, 98% of, of hockey. You don't curse on the ice, which is an incredible accomplishment that you're able to one, not curse on the ice. That takes incredible wow. discipline. And secondly, uh, how, how would you go about chirping without using cursing? Because when you hear chirping, if you see it on, <laughs> on social media, there's a lot of a blips and bleeps that have to be put in because normally there's a word or two that you can't put out there. So how did you navigate those waters? It's a pretty impressive stat. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I probably said a lot of dumb stuff, but um, I don't know. I, I just got laughs out of the guys on, on our bench and probably on the other bench. I like getting after, you know, the skilled guys on the other teams. Like, I, I, I love getting after Drew, Drew Doughty. I mean, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. Like, I love getting in their ear hole. Just those guys were the cat's pajamas all of their lives. And finally, like, no, they've never been tripped in their lives. So, like, for me to say, um, you know, Drew Doughty hits me in the ankle on a power play. I'd be, you know, go up to him and tell him to pick his freaking head up. Uh, you know, <laughs> no one says that to Drew, to Drew Doughty. He's never heard that in his entire life. So, like, it catches these guys off guard. Like, even Patrick Kane, when I chirp him, all he could do is, like, kind of just look at me and, like, smile. Like, he didn't know what else to do. Like, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I just loved it. You know, it was the, the game inside the game for me. And I just love, like, trying whatever I could to get these guys off their game, even though I probably didn't. Um, but no, as far as, you know, curse, I, I, I wouldn't say I didn't curse on the ice. I mean, I, for sure I did. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a faith first guy and, and I want to, and I want my opposing team team to know that. And I wanted my teammates to know that. So um, I try to do that um, by leading by example. And, um, but, you know, what stays on the ice you know what happens on the ice stays on the ice and no for sure there there was uh, I, I you know there 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 was some choice words for sure but i i tried to keep it as tame as i could yeah. you brought up some big names there and i always like asking this question to defensemen that have played at the highest level was there a scariest player that you had to take a rush against where if you were gapping up and you realized who it was you went oh boy, I have to be down to the inch on my gap here or this guy's going to turn me inside out and throw my jock strap on the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, there was, honestly, there, I, I had, I mean, with, with pro hockey nowadays, there's there's video for days. So we, we did video on the skilled guys in their teams. And there's, there's four to six guys on every team in the NHL that probably needed a league above the NHL. That's how good they were. You know, the, the skating ability, the skill level, the, the, uh, I mean, you, you, you can't touch Patrick Kane. I mean, that guy is the most shiftiest guy, the, the best stick handler. I mean, when he comes down on you and he, he gets across the blue line, I mean, could you imagine me like lunging out at this guy? He, uh, he'd make me look like a pylon. And I'm sure it happened a few times in my career, but, um, you know, I would, I would say he's one. I mean, McDavid obviously is another with his, his speed. I mean, when, when he's coming through the neutral zone at full speed, it's like, oh, my gosh, let's just try to let him stay the outside and take a shot from, like, the dot or something. I mean, let's not let him, you know, turn me into a TSN turning point moment where I'm going to be all over the ESPN for a while. You know, it's this guy's crazy. But um, like I said, like you, you had to do your 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 work and your your focus um, before any game. And um Again, like this is another thing that you got to, you know, you know, work at and make sure you're doing just because there, 
if you didn't, you, you got to know tendencies of, of, of your opponents. And, um, and I think, you know, we, we really harped on, on video for a lot of my years and, um, you know, all my D coaches really, uh, love showing us clips of, um, certain guys. And, um, uh, there's, like I said, a handful on every team. I mean, literally you can go down every team and I can name five guys on every team. That's just like, Oh boy. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep them to the outside when, when they're coming down full speed and, you know, you know, we'll, we'll try, you know, keeping a tight gap at, you know, stepping up at the blue, but if not, let's, let's keep them to the outside and, um, you know, take away passing lanes and, you know, try to get in the shooting lanes. And, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 a you're at the best league in the world and, and, and the skill level is all there. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just did a, a podcast with Devin Dubnik too. And it was funny because every time Alex Ovechkin came into town, it's like, he, <laughs> Dubnik would just say, oh boy, here comes the grade eight. It's, it was like, he even said at my podcast, it's the OV auto too. Like he was already, he already had two goals on him before the game even started because he's like such in his melon, you know, it's just like, it's crazy. Some of these guys and, and they're, you know, they're, they're, their their skill set and their shooting ability. You talked about it with us playing in your hometown, uh, playing for the Minnesota Wild, and and all the joy that came with that. But I've talked with other players that have had the privilege of playing in their hometown states before, or hometown cities for Canadians. And there's another side to it as well. And I'm curious if you experienced this. There's pressure that comes with being a hometown guy, even as someone as you as you you know proclaim yourself as more of a depth defenseman. There is still pressure, and there might be more spotlight that comes on you playing in your hometown than when you were in Philly or when you were in St. Louis briefly or elsewhere. Did you ever feel that pressure that that came with being an Elk River, Minnesotan, playing for the Minnesota Wild as opposed to a Saskatoon, Saskatchewan-born player playing in Minnesota? Yeah, I, I, yes and no. I think, uh, you know, I felt the pressure um, a little bit early on in my career. I think just being the younger guy and, you know, looking at Twitter and whatnot, um, you know, it starts messing with me. And, you know, I, I had to shut that out for sure. I think uh, you know, there's, there's just a lot of uh, people uh, in their sweatpants and Zubas in their basements that, that, that can type a lot of negative stuff on there that, uh, you know, can, can get can get in your head. And, um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I had to kind of tune that out, but, um, I, I, you know, I think in my career, I I've said this before that I think I played every game, like it was a, it was a tryout, you know, cause I was always like on a league minimum one-way deal or two-way deals. I, um, I was always the depth defenseman number six or number seven. I always started the season as number seven and kind of had to wait my turn. So when eventually I got my turn, I couldn't again I, I couldn't go in and play a, a, or have a bad week it almost felt like maybe I put this pressure on myself but uh I think it definitely helped me play longer and have a longer career because in my mind if I had a bad week I, I was going to be playing for Iowa or playing in Houston and and I didn't want that I wanted to stay in the NHL I, I liked being uh, you know, in St. Paul and, you know, having one mortgage and, you know, having my family settled here and, you know, having my parents and families and friends come into every game. You know, I, I, I really loved that. That was honestly like, it's a, it's a script. It was a dream come true. And I want to do everything I could to stay there. So if I played one 
you know, like I said, vanilla game. I knew that next game balls out needs to be my A game. Like I, I there's, I, I, I don't want a GM or assistant GM or um, anyone in the seats to be like, eh, you, you know, maybe we could replace them with the guy that's, you know, doing, putting up points in the, in the minor league. And, you know, he's our second rounder. We should give him a shot. No, no, no. I, I, I wanted to make sure like, I'm going to hold this position. This is my spot. I'm going to freaking, you know, do what I can to, to, to stay in this spot for as long as I can. And so I, I think that, you know, internally, maybe that, that was more me putting that pressure on myself, but um, uh, maybe I needed that, 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 that drive um, again from myself to, to make sure that, you know, uh, to continue to push myself to that, to that level that I knew I could and it obviously worked six strong seasons with with Minnesota playing in front of your hometown friends and family and fans before eventually winding up in the American Hockey League again here in Iowa same system different town different building different team I'm curious you saw Houston you saw Iowa what was similar what was different when you, you came back down for your second run through the American Hockey League here in Des Moines yeah um I mean, weather different. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, v- both very well run organizations. Um, you know, Tim Army was the coach on there, and um, very good, very, very detailed, very uh, again uh, video oriented. Um, and we had that too with Houston with Mike Yo. Um, they they uh, they both in- instilled a lot of confidence in me to 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 go out and play um, and kind of play play freely you know you don't you don't want to grip the stick you don't want to play tense um but um very very nice city des moines they 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 have a great fan base um um, i I mean i'm not saying houston didn't uh, because they did they they had that fan base as well especially when we made that run the playoffs like we we were almost feeling like the toyota center it was i was so much fun but um you know we, we 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 win the playoffs in iowa and the fans are great there as well and um, you know, I, I tip my cap to both cities. Honestly, I think, uh, I was, I was impressed both spots. Um, um, so no, no, no gripes about riding the bus in, in either of those, those spots. Did you have a favorite restaurant or golf course that you can remember? I know the guy spent a lot of time, uh, both in restaurants and on the links. I know I'm, I'm asking you to rack your brain here a little bit for one stop in many stops that you had in your career, but I'm always curious. And I know our fans like hearing too, uh, where some of the favorite haunts were for you when you were here. Yeah. Um, I, I lived, a above by like target um in west des moines mm-hmm. so um is it wellman's yep so you know we'd stop over there quite a bit and we we're kind of in that in that area for the most part for the you know when they you know the 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 few months i was down there you know bonefish um uh i'm trying to think what else there is a golf course a little north of the city that we played at that was super nice tci Tournament Club of Iowa, beautiful, yes. beautiful course. Arnold Palmer designed that, I'm pretty sure. Yes. In some way, shape, or form, who knows how much he actually had to do with it, but um, it, it's a beautiful golf course. Yeah, Bart was a big golfer, and um, so I kind of rode his coattails for a little while. And, and his family took off when we made playoffs because I think their lease was up, so he came and lived with me because my family, they stayed up in Minnesota just because it was kind of a, a short little run, short little stint, and 
So Bart moved in with me and we, we kind of made our rounds a little bit to the golf courses and, and Wellman's every now and then. So, um, you know, we, we had some fun and um, enjoyed our time together. I got to spend a shortened season with Matt Bartkowski. What a gigantic character of a human he is. I heard a story from Mitch McLean about Bart. We're on the golf course. I think it was, they were playing for money, I believe. And on the 17th hole, he picked up McLean's ball and threw it in the water and said, I get one throw per round. And Mitch said, I've never heard of this rule. And he said, well, well, well you know, essentially tough. This is a rule. Did you ever see him do that on the golf course? <laughs> Employ a throw where you get to throw your, 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 your opponent's golf ball wherever you want. <laughs> no, that sounds like a fart move though. He's a mutt. Uh, I could see that happen, but no, I, and I could also see Mitchy like not stepping up to him. Yeah. Like Mitchy's a big dude. Like, you know, you, you got to confront your bullies every now and then. And Bart bullied him. But, uh, you know, tell him, like, you know, screw off. That, 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 that's not what the way it works here. <laughs> I, I have a couple more questions for you. Nate, you've been just so terrific and gracious with your time. I got to ask, when I say saving private Prosser, what comes to mind? <laughs> uh, my my stints with St. Louis. Um, so not only once – but twice I signed with St. Louis in the summer as a free agent. Um, uh, and the first time I, I didn't make the team out of camp. So I was put on waivers and Minnesota claimed me back right away. So it was like in start of October, end of September, I was back with Minnesota. The second time, a couple years later, um, I signed with St. Louis. I make the team out of camp because Jay Bowmeister broke his foot or something. And he was out for, you know, two to three months. So I, I stay on the team as like the number seven defenseman play one game, mainly just as an insurance policy type of guy. Um, um, and, you know, spend a lot of time in the press box, you know, pretty natural. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, so Bowmeister comes back and, um, it was around Thanksgiving, I want to say, and we, we just started this, you know, chain talking with, you know, Darby and the coaches and a few wild guys. And, um, it, it was called saving private processor and, you know, to bring me back, you know, um, you know, across enemy lines and, you know, I, I signed in the, with the enemy and they needed to bring me back. And I was like a wounded soldier, you know, you got to bring me back. And, um, just so happened that they were, playing in st louis and i was put on waivers and i got claimed back by minnesota and we ended up playing at home against st louis a couple nights later it was like a home and home and so my first game back with minnesota was against st louis the team i was kind of playing on i mean it was it was just kind of like a freaky fluky thing and um but no saving prior process or that, that that'll be singed in my brain for a while um i I, I, it was a special moment. That, that was a, a moment I'll definitely remember as well. Just, it was like nothing changed. I, I came back. I was, had the same locker, same change stall, um, you know, giving everyone hugs and, you know, seeing everyone's big smiles and, you know, trainers and coaches and Zamboni driver. And um, it was like, you know, <laughs> again, it was like, I was, I was never left. And um, it was, it, that day was, uh, super special for me. So the, you know, there's a good amount of time in Minnesota, but you, you know, in St. Louis, in Philadelphia, in Iowa, 
you know, this time it can be tough for family, but you know, one thing I want to talk to you about, you're, you're a girl dad, you got four girls. So what's it like being a girl dad? Are they into hockey? Do any of them play? Like, like what's, what's that been like for you? Cause I'm sure as you know, as a guy, everybody, you, you, you know, you hope you have a young boy someday who come play hockey, you get four girls. So what's that? Like? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I got four girls just because I kept trying. I just wanted that boy <laughs> that, you know, throw that football around with and teach a slap shot. Um, no, but I got four athletic daughters and my house is full of glitter and pink. And, um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. They, they're great. And, uh, my older two, uh, play hockey. I got a nine, eight, six, three-year-old. So the nine and eight-year-old were on the same eight U team in YZ this year. And, uh, I've never been able to coach them. So they're begging for me to be on the ice. So I coached that team. It was super fun. We had a good year and, um, and they, they do a lot of other sports as well. Like we were, well, what, what was crazy, they played hockey and basketball. My wife played basketball and tennis, so she's trying to push the basketball thing on them. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, you know, saying, hey, get into hockey if you'd like it. And um, so they did both, and our heads were spinning. So we got to kind of figure that, that, that winter sport out. But, um, uh, you know, my oldest plays lacrosse as well and volleyball. Um, my second place, she's big into soccer and they're they're both into swimming they're on a swim team um my third one just started soccer um the last couple summers and we'll probably get her into skating this winter um so yeah i mean basically it just been an uber driver this like this this last <laughs> year and like it's it's been crazy um this my last year playing uh was the covid year it was january to june and i was out in philadelphia and i was like on the taxi squad for most of the year um, played a few games with the Flyers, um, but I was out there by myself. Just we, you know, we're, we're you know, kids getting older. We're planting our roots here in Minnesota. You know, they're in school. They're on their sports teams. They're in their church. Uh, it, it just would have been hard for, for us to, to pull them mid-year and bring them out there. So um, it, it's just, it's, you know, that year kind of wore on us. Um, you know, uh, my wife kept saying she totally gets why Britney Spears buzzed her head. And I'm like, oh, boy, like. I don't want to come back to a buzz head wife. Like I, I need to love you again. And, uh, and um, uh, so we, we, we get back in June and honestly, all I want to do is to kind of take everything off her plate. You know, she's, she's been a rock star and, you know, behind every athlete there, there's a rock star wife. Um, um, they, they, they take care of a lot of things behind the scenes and she definitely did that for me. And I, I wouldn't have played as long as I did. It wasn't for her. And, so this last year, I've I, you know I've been a coach with my uh, coaching soccer, coaching hockey, um, uh, just over driving them around, and um, yeah, just trying to figure out what that next chapter looks like now. Taking taking all that time driving the kids around constantly from practice to games to everything, you know, nonstop. Does it have, do you have more of an appreciation for what your parents did for you when you were growing up, you and your brother and sister? Without a doubt. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I. I it definitely gives me a greater appreciation. And whenever I go to a kid's camp, I always say, tell them to make sure to thank their parents for bringing them there and driving them around. I mean, my dad, uh, uh, definitely, definitely wouldn't have been where I'm at, been to the career I played without him. You know, obviously his advice and his guidance and his coaching, he coached me, you know, through Bams and, you know, on some, you know, triple A teams. Um, but just, uh, obviously the, 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 the money it takes one and the time it takes two. I mean, we, 
we'd go out to Detroit and then Toronto and Brandon and Vancouver. And uh, I mean, we, we circled th these Northern States and provinces like, it, like it was our job. So um, it's, 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 uh, it was pretty crazy, but um, yeah, I don't know if my girls will, you know, get to that point or not. Um, I'm just hoping they, they enjoy a sport. I mean, they're definitely in it for the social aspect right now. They're, you know, we, we scrimmage in hockey and they're, they're more um, enjoying talking with their friends on the bench than, you know, going out and, you know, making plays. So, um, you know, just trying to instill, you know, have fun and, you know, get some kind of a work ethic out there. Nate, I wanted to at least give you a few minutes to, to talk about your podcast. You've alluded to it a few times here on our podcast, but uh, the Prospox, you and your brother Luke uh, getting to share some airwaves together. Yeah. You mentioned you've had Devin Dubnik on there. Uh, Al Stalock is a shared guest. We had him on actually our last episode, so you're following up Al. Uh, I'm sure we could spend time. We could spend a whole other show uh, talking about uh, Al Stalock and I'm sure your connection that you guys have had together. Nick Sealer, Ryan Carter, uh, you guys are having a blast doing that. It, from what I've seen, from what I've listened to, lighthearted, fun show. I do have a bone to pick, though. We thought that we had this really clever idea. Segment one is period one. Segment two, the interview is period two. And period three is our outro. And then when I listened to your podcast, I realized that you did the same thing. So I got a bone to pick. Although then, then what I realized is your show actually started before ours did. So we might be stealing from you inadvertently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We might be coming after you guys. Yeah, I was going to say, there might be a, ce the a cease, yeah, and, just, cease and desist coming our way pretty soon here for, <laughs> yeah, from Nate Prosser. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but tell us more about the show uh, because, you know, for you especially, you know, to get to rehash some of these memories with uh, some of your great friends that you've made throughout hockey, I'm sure, is a blast. But also to get to do it with your brother Luke. Got to give him a shout-out too. Mayak alum at Bethel. I was a Mayak alum. I played at Concordia, so got to give my D3 guys some love too. But talk nice. about the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at, you know the idea came to me probably uh, a year ago, and it is uh, you know the names obviously. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the press box at the Excel Energy Center where I almost you know I turned it into the press box. So it's um, I think I played you know 360 games or something, and I, I probably had 300 scratches. So I you know I, I, I is my second home up there, and so I renamed it to press box and. You know, it's just thought it would be a good idea to, you know, start something like this. And the Wild uh, really doesn't have uh, an alumni program yet. I don't know if they're going to start doing that. But, you know, I just started writing down names of guys that I, I, I played with, guys that I remember growing up watching. Um, and uh, and it, it just kind of came to me that uh, this is the state of hockey. We, we love watching Pierre Marc Bouchard. We love watching – uh, Miko Koivu, Andrew Burnett, Guillaume Latendresse. Okay, well, what are they? What's what's going on now? Like, what what's what, what's what's their life looking like? Because so many guys in, that are athletes, um, uh, for lack of a better word, struggle with the transition out of hockey. Um, you know, we put all of our um, dreams and aspirations into you know making it and getting there and staying in the NHL as long as you can. Well. That's kind of our identity. Well, what's your identity now once you once you leave the game? And um, so I've been just enjoying catching up with guys. And it was more to, 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 you know, first period life, you know, you know, growing up. When did you um, start? You know, when did you start playing year round? When did you get your opportunity? You know, and then period two is more like, uh, you know, stories in the game. 
um, you know, time with me, um, time with the wild and the period through is kind of the transition. And, you know, what's, uh, what's Devin Setaguchi up to these days, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. And, and I, I, I'm, I know like me as a, you know, avid wild guy growing up, I love watching Pierre Marc Bouchard. I mean, that's been around move. He's probably the most skilled player I've ever seen in, in my life. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's talk to him. Let's, let's see what, what butchie boys up to these days and you know obviously living in quebec and speaking french but um well let's 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 see what else is going on well it really yeah you got you guys do a great job with the show i I, i'm not going to give too many podcast recommendations on our podcast but i I highly recommend uh giving the prospect box a listen it's fun and uh even the description i thought was really terrific too with you know giving a little love to luke but also saying the better looking prosser is yourself i enjoyed it i I, I thought you guys play that out really really well uh and the the shtick is very good so uh, yeah Really, really no, good my, stuff. My dad, my dad gave us the hairline. I mean, we, we look, we're kind of spitting images. And, um, you know, I, I thought there'd be no one better. My brother's got a good personality. And, um, you know, he, he can be the kind of the super fan in, in, in the interviews. And, you know, it, it, uh, it works out well so far. We, you know, we're, we're early in the process, but um, we're, we're enjoying doing it. I, I like catching up with these guys as well. And, um, like I said, we, we probably have, uh, you know, six episodes out. And, um, you know, we, it, it, it's been fun just, you know, staying involved and, you know, catching up with these old guys. Well, from one podcaster to another, uh, Nate, I've just had a superb time talking with you here today. Learned a lot, enjoyed a lot of it, smiled a lot. Uh, this has been just a thrill for, for me and I know for Joey too. So thanks a million for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing more podcasting out of you. And, and hopefully we can get you maybe down here to Iowa at some point too during our 10th season. And we could have you come out and, uh, and see some of, some of all the changes that have happened since you've been down here. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, had a fun time today. Thanks for having me on and um, look forward to, uh, to hear more of you guys too. Huge thanks to Nate Prosser uh, for giving us a lot of time there. Uh, just such a genuine, genuine guy. Uh, really appreciated that. And I'm not really sure if this pairs well to go from such a genuine interview to the my first and hopefully last ever keeping up with the Kardashians season two, episode one report. But here we are uh, for those who missed it. Actually, Joey, for you go ahead and, and, and give the, give the, okay. the what, what led up to, because if anybody's listening there, why are they talking about the Kardashians? Yeah. You can tell us, tell them why. All right. So, so, we like to have fun here. We like to do, do fun we? things. And uh, <laughs> was this fun? We well, it was fun for me. I don't know. You haven't so, even heard it yet. Yeah, I haven't heard it yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we we you know we'll, we'll make some some fun little wagers here and there throughout the throughout the summer and and you know into the season if 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 things run that long and you know coming up with punishments for the bets and this is one that Ben has been very excited. He'll tell you that he's like ah, I don't know. I think it'll be. I think just Ben just secretly wanted to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Anyways. When Mitch Mitch was here, the three of us, we'd all picked our Stanley Cup predictions. How many games would it end in? Who was going to win? Um, although me and Mitch did both get it wrong. I mean, we all got it wrong. Me and Mitch at least mm-hmm. had the right team. You picked Tampa Bay. You picked them in seven games. Bolts in seven. Um, which was a crazy pick. Uh, and with that, I think 
I think you set yourself up for it. I think you knew it was coming. Just giving you an excuse to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So Ben had to watch an episode, and now he's going to give us a recap. And I would have figured, oh, he's just going to take the most recent episode and recap that. No, no, no. Ben really wanted to watch the Kardashians, so he went back to look for an episode which he thought was going to be you know, the most exciting one, uh, and he settled on one. So um, buckle in, strap up. Here we go. Lay it on us. So – for starters, this was actually my wife came up with this punishment idea because I was explaining to her. <laughs> yeah, right. I was explaining to her the whole wager punishment idea, and this was she just came up with it at the snap of a finger. And I thought this was a, a great idea for reasons unknown. Apparently, there's some debate about why the the reasons are there. But anyway, so here here we are, and I googled most ridiculous keeping up with the Kardashians episodes because I didn't want to watch some vanilla. I don't know if there is such thing as just, you know, vanilla bland keeping up with the Kardashians episode or not. But so I found I was what, at least whatever Reddit site I went on to and found this, it was season two, episode one, which mind you, 2008, I had no idea the show had been running for that long. So 2008, uh, Kim Kardashian, uh, was voted, the most Googled person at some point in that year. So this episode was titled, uh, Kim becomes a diva. How I would title this report. She, so she just, be, she as Kim as just as became a diva in, in 2008. 2008. Had not not yes. prior this yeah. moment to that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that was the title of the episode. And the title of my report is season two, episode one of keeping up with the Kardashians, 22 minutes of my life that I will never get back. So the show opens, the Kardashian family's at their, their house, which I, at this episode, I never figured out where this was. I'm guessing somewhere in California. Um, again, Kim is the most Googled person around this time. So apparently um, she's very happy. She's dating Reggie Bush, which I totally forgot about her dating oh, Reggie yeah. Bush, right? I totally That's forgot right. about that. That's so right. Reggie did not make an appearance on the show. I'm sure he did at some point, but not in this episode. But so she, she gets on camera. She's very happy. She's the number one Googled person. She's dating Reggie Bush. Life is good uh, for Kim. But her family apparently doesn't like all the, this fame has gotten to Kim's head with, with the, the Googling. So they don't, like, they don't like the trajectory she's on. So, so that, there's, some, there's some strife in the Kardashian household. I'm already right off the drop so, of the hat. like, listen, the Kardashians drive me nuts. <laughs> I'm already so annoyed with this episode and we're two oh, sentences in. And I got pages here. So uh, they're all sitting at, on this sectional couch talking, the whole family, all the sisters um, and the parents are there. And Kim tells the family that they could never understand what she's going through to be in a spot like this. Like they can't equate, they can't relate. So this, there's just kind of, you know, back and forth banter. One thing I caught right away was I could not believe how many times like was used. And for a broadcaster, the verbalized pauses, and they really grind my gears. And it yeah. was every single person like this, like that, like, um. And so that was honestly one of the hardest things I had to just get over. It was, I'm going to hear the word like a thousand times throughout the course of this 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. So the scene shifts then out of the, the Kardashian home. They're at some clothing store. I'm guessing maybe they own it. The sisters were acting like they worked there. Maybe they did. Maybe they don't. I, I don't know. It didn't make it evidently clear. So Courtney tells Chloe, I don't know these by looks, but I think I got them right. Courtney tells Chloe and Kim that she has her boyfriend Scott's old phone. 
So, and then the minute they say that, there's some like dramatic music just hits like, oh, he's, you know, we've got, we've got, we've got his phone and, uh, Courtney and Kim demand that she goes through the phone. And Courtney says that, uh, this is not the kind of girlfriend she is. She trusts Scott. Uh, and then Kim proclaims herself, no, 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 you can't trust anybody. And we'll find what we need to find because Kim says that she is the quote, queen of 007 and quote, queen of codes. So add that to Kim's mantle of, of accolades. She's what the queen resume. of 007 and the queen of coats. Marquise is laughing. That's a good sign. Um, so they, they do go through it. They find a text message from a contact on Scott, Courtney's boyfriend's phone called My Wife. Again, cue dramatic music, big, you know, dun, 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 that comes down. So there's a My Wife on Marquise there. Marquise will play it. Yep, he'll play now. that. Yeah. Um, and the text to My Wife on Scott's phone says, uh, I can't wait to look deeply into your eyes again. So, I mean, this is this is madhouse-type wow. drama between the sisters now. They're freaking out. Uh, Courtney couldn't believe Scott could be cheating on her. Um, she was sick to her stomach. She storms out of the shop. So the next day, uh, Courtney calls Scott, calls him to the carpet, says, I've got your old phone. Who's my wife? Who's this? Who's that? Scott denies any wrongdoing, goes with the deny-till-you-die strategy, uh, and Chloe and Kim decide after this phone call goes awry, Courtney's mad, hangs up on Scott, they're going to plan a girl's trip to Cabo because Kim says it's the easiest place to go to. To which my response was, is that the easiest place to go to? I mean, again, maybe for them, they'd probably hop on their PJ and, and make their trip to Cabo. So they go to Cabo, they go out clubbing, the girls are trying to get Courtney to hook up with a random stranger. Courtney's not about that, she still has feelings for Scott. She's very conflicted throughout this whole thing. Um, you know, so they're at this club called Passion. Looks like a really upstanding place. Like a lot of lot of really um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna find your your your, your husband or wife yeah, there is what totally. is, is what I walked away thinking. Um so they go to this club, Courtney leaves, and then the next day at, they find Courtney back at the hotel room and then there's a random cut shot. Kim's on the phone with her mom and Kim's also planning a trip to Miami and is livid because apparently when she's gone in the past, her mom has booked all of her hotel rooms for her. And she says that you've booked me the worst hotel rooms ever to stay in in Miami, to which I'm thinking like, okay, do where, yourself. Have, where have you been? Well, the, do it yourself. Well, that too, but where have you been staying? I mean, the worst hotel rooms ever. I mean, so that that to me was like, really, what hotels have you been staying at that are the worst hotels in the world? And you know, what's what's your definition of the worst hotels in the world? Um, so there's this whole big debacle going on between the mom and uh, and Kim about the Miami hotel room. Um, they're still in Cabo. Um, they the the clubbing experience fails. Courtney still wants to talk to Scott, so she convinces the girls to leave the trip early. They go home. Um, and then, uh, the next day there's still more venom spewing between the mom who I can't remember her name. Her name wasn't brought up on the show. I know too much. It's Chris. They've all got names with the letter K and I thought I was the one who secretly no, wanted to watch the show. Listen, 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 listen. I know pop culture. I don't watch the Kardashians, but it's hard not to know who they are, especially Chris. Cause she's the one who's masterminded their entire thing. That's why she's fam- half the reason she's famous. Okay. Maybe okay, so, of the so, so Chris is still arguing now in person with uh, with Kim, 
And Courtney returns home to voicemails from Scott because they didn't let her bring her phone with um, to the trip. Smart move in, mm-hmm. in a bad breakup situation. Smart move, I'll give them that. Um, so their voicemails from Scott are, I miss you. I'm going crazy. I can't live without you. So they end up getting together to talk about this. And Scott says that the looking in her eyes text was with an ex-girlfriend of his from high school and says that it was just a joke between the two of them. Of course. And Always Courtney is. accepts that as, as a valid explanation, that it was just a joke. They were joking around and says that they can stay together, but she can't give Scott all of her right now. She only give her a piece of, of her. Can't give Scott all of her. So that evening, uh, Scott and Courtney are going to dinner. The other sisters surprise them at dinner, Kim and Chloe do, uh, and they essentially confront Scott about this whole thing. It's like uh, they, an episode of Cheaters. You ever see that show? Well, so like the whole thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I have I have a follow up questions and notes section that we're okay. going to get to. All this right. is just like the, this is the the walkthrough yeah, yeah, of okay, the whole okay, episode. Okay. This is the report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they go to dinner. Uh, uh, Kim says, "Thank goodness Reggie and I don't have." This is a quote. "Thank goodness Reggie and I don't have the need to be psychos like this." So I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't remember how that relationship ended. I would be surprised if it wasn't firework laden. Um, so Scott goes to the restroom to get a breather from being grilled by the sisters. Chloe then follows him to the bathroom. He comes out of the bathroom and she intercepts Scott and tells him if he hurts Courtney again, she'll cut his blank off. So we'll just leave that. Maybe put a bleep in there, Marquise or, or something like that. But um, so the episode ends the next day after this dinner with uh, Kim making breakfast for the family in the kitchen. And that was the end of the episode. Yeah, probably because she doesn't cook ever, I, and they don't think they wanted to catch her not being able to make scrambled eggs in the kitchen. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So, I got your Reggie Bush update here. So, so they had a high-profile <laughs> relationship. Um, they dated, started dating in 2007. They dated until 2009. They called it quits. Ended up getting back together uh, until March 2010. Why they broke up? It says. When they first broke up, they were just citing their desires to focus on their respective careers, which um, with Reggie Bush wasn't all that great um, in the NFL. But you know, I guess I guess that's why. What was her career? Uh, what would you call her career? Influencer? I don't. I I I I truly don't know what you call Kim Kardashian's career. I I wouldn't call her an actress because it's reality TV. I wouldn't call her a movie star. I get that's what, a, it comes back to the question. Is I don't she know if a she's a fashion icon yeah. or is she just like just truly just an influencer? Like maybe she was the original influencer. I mean, it's she's she's famous for really not having done a whole lot, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But I mean, good for her and all her success. Obviously, I wish I was that successful. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, hey, um, so. Okay, follow-up questions and notes, things that were that were rolling around in my brain while this was all happening to me. Um, the, the first thing was, I think when I first walked into this, I thought this show has been so successful because it's so over the top. And it, it literally, as this episode shows, it's just it's just the lives of people, which this people get cheated on all the time in terrible ways. But it's just happening to people who happen to have, uh, uh, you know, an ungodly amount of money and can man it and can produce this and can put mm-hmm. this out for people to relate to, I guess. And I thought that the over the topness would make it 
more would add more humor to it. You'd have more moments where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. I didn't have that. I and my and my wife watched it with me, and we both got done and just went. I was I was hoping for more. I was I was hoping to have, and not that I thought I was going to become hooked to the show. Never know, but I I was hoping that I was going to leave with a little more laughs, a little more like this was enjoyable because it was so ridiculous. It just seemed like much ado about nothing to me. Nothing really happened. I I really went blow by blow of what happened in the show, and I think as you could attest to, and maybe Marquise could too. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened. It was just, it was just 22 minutes of really annoying, you know, conversation and a lot of people saying like all the time. Um, and so one of the big questions I had, so Chloe, Courtney, Kim are all in their late twenties at this point have, you know, are remarkably rich. Do they all, do they live with their parents at this point still? That was one question I, I walked away with. Like, I don't know. Like, wouldn't you think that they would just take, you know, whatever their nest egg is and go and get a great apartment somewhere? That was one question I had. One note I had, Ryan Seacrest was an executive producer of this show. That was a name I had no idea was well, connected to the show at all. I'm pretty sure the show is on the E! Network, which he's got a big hand in. Really? Okay. It, it is. It is, so I, I think. Because that was it, I watched it on Hulu, but it I came up. He's got a big hand e. in that network. Yep. And then um, I I would genuinely like to have someone explain to me like this is not a, a mockingly saying I would genuinely like to have someone who watches this show consistently just explain to me. And I would listen, like, why do you watch the show over and over again? What does it, what does it bring you? Like, does it bring you joy? Does it br- comparing yourself to these people that wouldn't bring me joy. I'd be like, well, they just have way more money than me and go do whatever they want. And you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I would genuinely like to, to be, you know, I'd like to know what people get out of the show. Um, and, my biggest question that I had was, do we think that that the Kardashians know that and that there's the butt of ridicule that they are in some spaces? Absolutely. Well, absolutely they do. And so do they know that and they don't care because the show has made them even more rich than they already were? Or do we think that they may actually think people are that genuinely invested in their lives? I that, think it's both. I think it's both. I think they think that people actually care about them because absurdly enough people do i mean people follow them the tabloids and all that stuff i mean i like look kardashians drive me nuts i don't watch the show but like i know pop culture they're everywhere i know uh courtney dates travis barker i know yeah courtney was, Kim was yeah, with courtney kanye was west Scott. and now yep. she's with pete davidson like i i know chloe was with Lamar Odom. I, she's definitely You know more anymore. about the show than I do. No, as much see, as you were gassing sh- me about no, being no, 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 the show, you see? know more about it than I do. No, this isn't the show. This is just knowing pop culture. They're they're all over the news. You can't turn on like a, a TMZ or anything without seeing them. They're on. But like, you're turning on TMZ on a regular basis? No, I'm not. I actually never watched TMZ. But, like, but you just said you can't turn on TMZ without seeing them on a regular basis. So where else were you seeing them? Anywhere. I'd like to dig into know. this a little bit you more. You can dig into it. Like, you're I'm, deflecting all. You're deflecting all this in, this quote interest that I have in this show with really because secretly I didn't watch it. So I'm surprised you didn't pick the did. bolts in seven. Maybe I was the smarter guy. I knew you. better. Well, I think you secretly wanted to watch the show too. I and you even said you wanted you, to know I what episode not. I watched. You said this before the episode. You thought about trying to figure out which what episode I was watching so you could watch it too. Oh, see? even though you lost the bet, or <laughs> no, no, I no, lost the bet. Here's what we're doing here. You twisted my words because. Marquise can back me up. That was not the context whatsoever of what I said. I said, I was curious which episode you were going to pick so that way I could watch it so I knew what you were talking about as you were going along. 
not because I wanted to watch it. You just gave me a 10, maybe 15-minute recap of a show that I'm never going to watch, nor do I really care about. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, so like I'm I not going to watch it. It would it have made a little bit more sense. Maybe could I have answered some of your questions? No, but I would have <laughs> been able to know maybe what you were talking about. Yeah, so all that being You enjoyed it much more than I All did. that being said, I it 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 left me I I did have higher expectations and I don't know how high those expectations could be within the realm of real expectations of when I walk into a show that I actually legitimately do want to watch and I'm not watching because I lost a bet on the podcast that we have for the company that I work for. Mm-hmm. Um but it did it left me it left me high and dry. They they let me down. It, it was not the entertainment value was not um, was not nearly what I had hoped it w- it would be. It was unfortunate to to let me down. I did think it was going to be more enjoyable than it was. Uh, he was it, hoping he's hoping to be left wanting more. I did know, to watch more in episodes. some way, shape, or form. I, I did hope that, and I did not get that. It was I, we, my wife and I were having a wonderful Sunday, and then I had to watch this, and it really it came to a screeching halt. We picked it back up after, and we had a nice rest of our evening. But it was it was a a, a, a hard stopgap in the middle of a very nice Sunday. I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> so I'm glad there we go. Fun. We'll uh, we'll look into our next punishment uh, here shortly. We got to come up. With, well, we do have our next punishment. We don't have our next bet yeah, yet. If anybody's got an idea for a bet, I mean, we're we're talking the Red Sox and Twins. They don't play for for a little while. So if anybody's got anything that we could maybe think of, uh, we got on the punishment. Ho- we'll, on ice hockey bet, maybe, probably <laughs> not. But if you got we got the punishment, we're not going to share that with you now. But we got a good one. Uh, so if you got ideas, mm-hmm. let us know. Just in general, if you have questions you want us to answer, if you have questions you want us to ask guests that we've got lined up, like let us know. We'll we'll do whatever we can. Um, I think it's a, probably a good time to tease who our guest is going to be mm-hmm. next week. So if people have questions, uh, if they want to send that stuff over, they got a couple days to do that before we chat with them. But. Matt Boldy, yeah, the big guy, and planning on uh, just so our fans know, we we got that interview scheduled for uh, Thursday of this week. So that's your your forty eight hour window of of getting questions over to us if you want us to get anything specific with Matt. Uh, really looking forward to that, and really looking forward to talking about uh, his golf game because I've yeah. talked about it with him before, and you said he was getting some love on Spit and Chicklets recently yeah. about his golf yeah. game. So he was. Um, apparently, the secret is out on on his ability to to put a little white ball into a cup because he Matt is a stick on the yeah, golf course. I've heard that not only from him, but I've heard, I've, I've corroborated that with other players that have played with him. He is as good as advertised. So I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit. And I know he has a great story about playing with his brother, uh, consistently and really competitively. It's a fierce competition, apparently in the Boldy household on the golf course. So that'll be a great interview. Uh, really looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. I think that, uh, that just about wraps it up. Reminder, Go like the podcast on YouTube, subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to. Give us those reviews. Give us those five-star reviews because we've already talked about it. We're in that upper echelon of podcasts now, so we're at top. (laughs) We deserve five stars. Uh, But definitely give that to us. It helps us out. Uh, It helps the podcast out. If we want to keep this going, that's going to go a long way. So definitely like, subscribe, comment. Again, send us questions, whatever it is you've got. Um, That's really the my parting words. Yeah, and, and and as always, a big thank you to Jeremy Core and Executive Podcast Solutions who makes it possible that you, the listener or the viewer, are, are watching or listening to this. Um, so uh, a big shout-out to, to Jeremy and Executive Podcast Solutions. Also, a big thank you, of course, to Nate Prosser uh, for a, a tremendous and a great interview. Really enjoyed that chat with Nate, uh, and we'll look forward to next week. Uh, until then, for Joey Goldstein, I'm Ben Gislason. Thanks for hopping on board, and two honks for the win. Boop, boop.